0: So judge not, and you will not be judged. In a simple way, don't judge, right? That's a very simple phrase that we often use in our culture. In old English, it's judge not lest you be judged. Uh, It's surprising because even if you don't come to church, even if you're not a quote unquote Christian, you know somehow that this verse is in the Bible, that you're not supposed to judge other uh, people. Uh, this is certainly one of the most famous, if not most quoted, verses in all of Scripture. People can't tell you which book it is in, in the Bible. They probably can't tell you um, who said it, uh, although Jesus said it. Uh, but they love quoting this verse. Uh, why? I think because uh, this phrase or this verse is perfect to, to justify the culture that we see today in America. The culture that says that it is wrong to declare anything good or evil. It is wrong to declare anything right or wrong, that morality is more of a choice, a personal preference. It's not absolute. It's unloving to share your views, your personal beliefs, and your values with someone. And that's why a lot of people would say keep your religion at home. Because religion is a private matter. In public, you don't speak of religion because that's unloving. And if you disagree with someone, just keep it to yourself. It, it's almost as if the worst sin that you can commit is call someone out for something that is wrong. And what we need to do is be more accepting, uh, more approving uh, of other people. Would you agree that that's kind of how uh, things are in our culture? It's the culture of absolute tolerance, meaning that know anything should be okay as long as people are okay with it so don't judge it's almost like a trump card that you would use to end a conversation if you feel uncomfortable with someone else's opinion it's a conversation stopper like the moment that someone says hey don't judge it's like what what can you say to that there's nothing that you can say so you use it to avoid or stop a conversation and more importantly this is how a lot of people view Jesus they believe that this is the core value of Jesus, that Jesus is not about judging. He's all about loving, that Jesus is okay with whatever you do, that he's okay, that he doesn't really care about right and, and wrong. He's accepting and approving of everyone, that, that, he, that in the same way, the church should love people in such a way. And, and it's this idea that who am I to judge, right? Um, even though I see someone walking in sin, who am I to judge? I should accept and approve other people's behavior. So this is often the picture that we have of, of Jesus. Again, absolute tolerance. But here's the problem. That Jesus is not from the Bible. Uh, Jesus, if you read his stories, he did his share of judgment. That he, have, he has clear opinions on people. Just think about what he says to the Pharisees, you hypocrites, you lovers of money. When he was clearing out the temple, all the people who were selling animals, exchanging money, he says, you robbers. Just look at today's passage. You know, a little bit down, he says, how can the blind lead the blind? In other words, he's calling some people, you're blind. He has his personal opinions about these people. He's saying uh, that, you know, certain people, it's not the best idea for them to lead others. And then you go to verse 45, the passage that comes after today's passage. It says, there's a good person who produces good fruit, and there's an evil person who produces evil fruit. In other words, Jesus has clear standards when it comes to what's right and what's wrong, what's good and what is evil. Jesus, he shares his, uh, he shares his judgment with others. I mean, in the book of Revelation, it says, I'm going to return and judge the living and the dead. And so it's really hard to just take this verse out of context and say, well, Jesus is prohibiting all forms of judgment. That the activity of judgment itself is something that we should stay away from. I don't think that's what Jesus is saying in this passage. I don't think he's addressing the question, should we judge? I think he's addressing the question, how should we use our judgment? That's the question. How should we use our judgment? Jesus is not saying that all judgment is intrinsically evil or that we should live without judgment. Rather, I think he's getting at a very particular form of judgment, a judgment that does not reflect the character nor the nature of our Lord and Savior. It's the type of judgment that comes out of a judgmental attitude or spirit that is hypocritical, that is unhelpful, and is ungodly. And all those three things we're going to see in today's passage. It's a judgmental spirit that he's condemning. It's a judgmental spirit that he's saying, stay away from this. A spirit that is hypocritical, unhelpful, and ungodly. So, the question that we want to answer from today's text is simply this How can we avoid being judgmental in our spirit, but rather have sound judgment for the glory of God and for the good of others? How can we avoid having such a judgmental spirit, but how can we have sound judgment? so that we can use it for the glory of God and for the good of others. I just want to highlight three things from today's text when it comes to judgment. Number one is this, judge with grace. Judge with grace. It says in verse 37, judge not and you will not be judged. Condemn not and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. So two negative commands and two positive commands. Two things that you should not do two things that you should do. Um, Don't judge, don't condemn. On the flip side, be forgiving and and, and give. And so you see this clear contrast uh, that Jesus is setting up. And I think what he's trying to say is this. When you are using your judgment, your attitude should be about forgiving and giving. That you should have this sense of generosity within you. That you should be willing to extend mercy and grace rather than condemn uh, someone else. For example, if I'm, I see a fall in, in Timothy or Irene, my heart is not to make them feel terrible and, and bad to destroy their soul. My goal is to uplift them. I'm going to reveal what's, what's the problem. I'm going to reveal what's sinful in them. At the same time, my hope is that they would realize that something is off, and then when they ask for forgiveness, if they want correction that I'll be quick to forgive, that I'll be quick to show mercy. That's my posture. I'm not going to linger on their past. I'm not going to linger on their fault. My attitude is, man, I really hope that you get this so that I can forgive you, so I can extend mercy to you, so that we can walk together in holiness. And so that's kind of the attitude that we ought to have when it comes to, to judgment, that we have, we have to know that that's how God wants us to approach this this judgment not having a critical view on people not trying to find every little fault in people and at the same time it doesn't mean that we ignore or minimize the sin of others especially in brothers and sisters by the way I should point out that I think the primary context the audience that Jesus is speaking to is the church he's speaking to brothers and sisters in Christ because he's using that type of language he's talking to the disciples followers of Jesus Christ so he's illustrating how we ought to live within the family of God and God is saying instead of ignoring or minimizing each other's sin or instead of being quick to judge one another judge graciously and patiently don't act so soon Uh, don't jump to conclusions don't just imagine or assume someone's motives go ask them like, if you are questioning someone's motives, I think it's fair for you to ask, to make sure that that's exactly their their motives. Because how often have you encountered someone and you realized there was a problem, and you realize that you hurt someone, but you had no intention to hurt that other person, and you say, oh, oh man, I didn't mean to say it that way. Like, I didn't mean to do that, like, right? And what you're saying is, although my actions hurt you, my motives were not like that, uh, And I'm not saying that if you have innocent motives, your actions are justified. I'm not saying that. But a lot of times, I think we just assume when we see a sin or a fault in a brother or sister, they have the worst motive possible. That they're actively trying to destroy someone, destroy their own life, destroy their relationship with God. They're actively living where in reality, it could be just they're living in ignorance. That they just don't know better. That they just need more instruction rather than an exposure uh, or, or a criticism. So judge with grace. And the way that Jesus explains this is this. Treat others how you want others to treat you. Treat others how you want others to treat you. And I think this is the perfect picture of generosity. Because when it comes to ourselves, we have a different standard. Like when, when it comes to judging our sin, our own self, we are super gracious. We come with every possible reason why we would walk in sin. It's not intentionally walking in sin. I have a reason like, to do this. Like, and then when it comes to other people, you're extra critical, super critical. And what God is saying is this, whatever measurement you use on yourself, use it for others. Be a bit more gracious and generous towards others. And he, he drives this point home in verse 38, the second part of verse 38, by using the illustration of measuring grain. He says this, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. So the picture is that when people are buying grain, right, they have, they have this container, and they would measure the amount of grain that they're going to buy with this container. And so when you're paying a certain amount for one container, you want to make sure that that container is, is full that There's a generous amount of grain there. Now, I don't have any experience measuring grain and and buying grain in such a way, but I know how to buy ice cream. I I've I, I eaten ice cream with the Mativers before, <laughs> and and I thought they were joking when they said their favorite food was ice cream. Uh, one time we went to um, get some froyo, frozen yogurt, for the, the people. Uh, uh, the um, and and I, re- I I remember these kids are putting ice cream into their container. And they, they tap it on, 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 on the table. And I was like, why are they tapping their ice cream? <laughs> and, and, and it's to get every ounce of space filled with ice cream. And so they're putting more ice cream, ice cream topping it with more stuff. And I asked Kenny, man, is this how you guys eat ice cream? And he shares like, yeah, man, every Tuesday uh, they normally have a deal where it's $5 per, per container. And they know that, hey, you're going to get your $5 worth, right? And, and so they're trained to be generous in this area. And, and, and Kenny happily paid for that ice cream. And I think what the Bible is telling us is this. A good measure is that generous amount of ice cream that's flowing from the side, that you want to lick the side, that you get bummed out when you see like this empty cone inside, right? Be generous towards others. Why? Because Nehemiah 9.17 says this, God, you are ready to forgive, gracious and merciful, so to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and did not forsake your people. That's how God views his people. Although he is absolutely righteous, holy, that he has this perfect standard of what's right and what's wrong. His attitude towards his people is not that, how can I find this small problem in their lives to destroy them? But his heart is that, how can I show grace and mercy? What, what excuse can I come up with to, to forgive these people? He's ready to forgive. He's gracious and merciful, slow to anger, so patient with us. In the same way, he's simply telling us, if you are recipients of that type of grace, then show mercy and kindness towards others as well. Give them the benefit of the doubt. When in doubt, go ask them. Examine their hearts and let them know that you still love them as well. I think one thing I really, um, am, I, 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 I'm, I'm worried about social media, and I personally think there's a lot of benefits of social media because so many people get incredible information from it. But for me personally, I know that I'm, a, I'm incredibly critical and, and judgmental in my heart. And what happens is on social media, you see a post, and you might say, well, that's just information. Right underneath that post, there's a like button. So as you're posting something, you're asking people to give immediate judgment whether you like it or not. And you might say, well, as long as you don't hit the like button, you're okay." But there are some people who are going to check who did not hit the like button in, 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 in their friends. And they're like, okay, the fact that you did not hit the like button means you don't like this like button. I'm going to unfriend you, right? And you're spending hours and hours in, in this mentality. And for me, like a couple of years ago, I just realized that I couldn't take it anymore. That I was spending so much time looking into other people's lives to find sources. Of, of judgment, really, because it almost seems like as long as it's light, it's okay. And I been, haven't been spending enough time finding judgment in God's word. And, and you realize the more and more you spend time in God's word rather than spending time judging others, you become more merciful and kind because you realize that that's who God is. That's how he treats us, that he, he is quick to forgive. So judge with grace. Our hope is not to hold people down in guilt. Our hope is to encourage people to God. I think there's a clear way that you can examine your motives. If you are confronting a brother or a sister in Christ, if you are calling someone's wrong wrong, um, you have to understand that your motive has to be that you want to restore this brother and sister, that you want to lead this brother to Christ rather than destroy this brother. And make this brother feel like, you know, he is worth nothing. And so just always examine your motive. Are you judging simply to condemn, to put down a brother? Or are you showing mercy and kindness that you're hoping that this person will repent? And the moment that person repents, you're going to be quick to forgive. So judge with grace. Number two is this. How can we practice sound judgment? Um, Number two is judge with truth. Judge with truth. Now, it doesn't mean when you judge, yeah, you're just always forgiving, always kind, everything is okay again. That's the culture of absolute tolerance. No, but there is a specific standard that you need to have some truth in order to make some wise discernment. It says in verse 39, he also told them a parable, can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they both fall into a pit? And so there's danger When you are leading someone else or trying to teach someone else, what teaching is, a lot of times, is a lot of correction and judging, right? Because you're telling people that, okay, what you did was wrong, and this is the best way that you can do it. So there's a lot of judgment that is involved. But the Bible tells is this, your source of judgment has to be solid. That you can't just be blind and expect other people to follow you and not have anything happen to their lives. No, the blind cannot lead the blind. By the way, shout out to all the teachers. Happy um, National uh, teachers Appreciation Week this week is uh, all the te- for all the teachers. I just want to encourage you uh, that you have an incredible job that is difficult, hard, because the Bible tells us that being a teacher is no joke. Um, it comes with great responsibility. It actually says in James 3.1, not many of you should become teachers, uh, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will judge, be judged with greater strictness. You know why that's the case? It's because when we're teaching, we're practicing so much judgment on other people. Like, and, and, and what God is reminding us is just be careful when you do do that. Like just be careful that you're not falling into this judgmental spirit. Be better, be more gracious in, in, in who you are and, and, and be rooted in truth. And this is probably why, you know, I think out of all the serving positions that we have. In our church, I think if you're in a position of teaching or leadership, like we want you to be at a higher standard. Hopefully, you expect me to be at a higher standard. Like Every single Sunday, I'm scared in a way because I recognize the weight of teaching God's word. And I recognize that, that the blind cannot lead the blind. And the only way I can remove my blindness is by looking at the one who is not blind, who is Jesus Christ. That, that, that's really it. That if you are following Jesus, this is not about being a perfect person. It's about you following Jesus, who is the only person who's not blind, who has open eyes when it comes to the spirituality. And if you are following him, then you can lead others. You know why? It says in verse 40, a disciple is not above his teacher. But here's the hope that we have. But everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. If you make Jesus your teacher and your Lord, then the Bible says then you will be like Jesus, that you will be like your teacher, your rabbi, your sensei. So keep yourself at a higher standard. Instead of following your personal thoughts and opinions, follow God's word that is trustworthy, absolutely true, and perfect. Follow the perfect example in Jesus Christ, and you will not fall. And not only would you not stumble, but you will not lead other people to stumble as well. This also means, as a teacher, you're not just exposing a problem or analyzing a problem, you're providing a solution. I think one good way for you to know when it's the right time to go up to someone to to maybe point out that person's sin is, do you have a solution? Like, do you, do you have a suggestion what that person can do? If you're concerned that someone is, is, is living uh, together and before marriage. Uh, this is one advice that I've received, actually. Uh, are you willing to open your house? If not, probably don't share that advice. Because like, they, they might not have a solution. Like, if someone is, 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 is struggling with their money, are you willing to help them to get over their money problem? Like, are you willing to walk with this brother and sister and make that commitment as a teacher? as someone who can lead the blind, it comes with incredible responsibility. But at the same time, I think God still wants us to encourage one another in such a way. So judge with truth, with grace, but also with truth. And the third thing is this, judge after self-examination. Judge after self-examination. It says in uh, verse 41 and 42, this wonderful illustration, it says in verse 41, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye? But do not notice the log that is in your own eye. So a speck is this tiny splinter that's in your eye. At the same time, a log in the Greek here, it's describing a beam that would hold a roof. So it's this massive beam, bigger than a two by four. And, and it's so strong, so steady. And what the Bible is saying is this massive piece of wood is actually coming out of your, your own eye. And how do you see a splinter is in someone else's eye while not seeing the, this log, this beam in your own eye. And and again, it's going to the point that we are incredibly generous to ourselves, but incredibly critical to, to others. And this is what Jesus says in verse 42. How can you say to the brother, brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye when you yourself do not see the log that's in your own eye you hypocrite first take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye so when you have a log in your eye you can't see clearly what the bible is saying is this sometimes when we look at other people's faults we have 20 20 vision but when we look at our own faults it's like we're legally blind like we don't recognize our own faults but notice that as much as this is dangerous, hypocritical, I think what Jesus is getting at is that he actually wants us to help a brother out, help a sister out. He doesn't say, because there's a log in your eye, just stay away, avoid any confrontation. No, he says in verse 42, first, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly. Jesus wants us to see things clearly. And when you can see things clearly, you have a better chance to help a brother out, that you can take out the speck that's in your brother's eye. This means that we need humility. We need to examine ourselves before we go to another person. We need to first go to God, like look in the mirror of of God's word, and ask God, God, am I ready? Like, is there any sin? And notice the chances are there could be the same sin in your heart. The reason why all that sin is in your eyes is because that's the very sin that you're dealing with like and and you you go to God, you do business with God first, you clear up your eyes and 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 you approach this manner in a gracious, humble way and I think when you do examine your own heart, um, it makes you grow in your holiness. Did you know every time you are? are tempted to be judgmental to someone else, it's a chance for you to sanctify your own being. Just seeing sin around us should immediately cause us to examine our own sin. Seeing sin in other people should immediately cause us to examine our own sin. It's a chance for you to walk in greater holiness, in greater righteousness, to follow the pattern of Jesus Christ. And after doing all that, the way that you approach a brother and sister is you do it carefully with patience and precision. Two things that are super important because you're talking about a speck in someone's eye. The eye is the most sensitive part of your body. Like that's why it's terrible, a terrible thing to poke someone in the eye. Yeah. It's okay to poke someone in the shoulder. Poking someone in the eye is like, that's deadly. And, It's because there's so many nerves and and like literally it's the most sensitive, most vulnerable place. And so you're talking about taking a speck out of someone else's eye. Now it'll be terrifying if you go to get eye surgery and then the doctor says, Man, I can't see clearly. Like, but I hope the surgery's gonna be great. Or it'll be terrible if the doctor is like, I did this many times, and you're like so rough at the eyes. No, like you you do it patiently, but knowing that there's a lot at stake, you do it with precision. You don't have to destroy the entire eye to take out that speck. That's a lot of times what we do. All we have to do is to take out one speck and then we end up destroying the whole eye. And, and what God is telling us is go in with patience but also with precision. And how do you do that? Is if you go through this process of first examining yourself, doing business with God, with a clear conscience, with sound word, you can approach God, uh, this, this person, with God's mercy and his grace. And that's how you execute the surgery to restore a brother to lead a brother back to christ so be willing to to correct someone but here's the flip side be willing to be corrected know that when jesus is saying this he's saying that sometimes we need people to take specs out of our own eye. it might not seem like it's a big deal the worst thing that a christian can do is live in isolation um, because a lot of times again you don't see your own faults you're so gracious to yourself that a lot of times you're blinded to your own sin and you're living in sin and you become so judgmental. And I think that's why in the Bible, church discipline, accountability is such a big deal. The very first place that the word church is mentioned is in Matthew 16. It's when it says, upon this church, upon this rock, I'll build my church. Jesus says, upon the confession that Peter made, that Jesus Christ, that he is the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus says, upon that confession, I'll build my rock. The second place that the word church is mentioned is is actually in Matthew 18. When a brother sins against you, first, go to that brother. Go tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained a brother. So the goal of godly accountability, speaking truth in love, is not to destroy a brother. It's to gain a brother. And if doesn't listen take two or three people with you if doesn't listen take this person in front of the church and still if that person doesn't listen treat that person as a non-believer not meaning you just get rid of that person it means that you treat that person with more grace knowing that that person just doesn't know better start with the gospel help them understand who Jesus Christ is and so you see that this is at the heart of, of what we are to do in church a lot of people will say man I hate that church or Christians are so judgmental it's true Uh, it's because we are so bad at executing sound judgment but if it's done rightly it can be the most loving caring thing that refines us that renews us that makes us more like Jesus Christ so don't live in isolation make yourself available for correction Um, every every Sunday you know I preach and then on Tuesday we actually have a staff meeting and in staffing, we go over every single step that we, we, every, of, of our service order. And when it comes to time for sermon evaluation, right, it's hard. Like, but I ask my staff, like, so what did you think about the sermon? And in the beginning, everyone's going to say, oh, it's great. Yeah, I loved it, right? But at the same time, if, every time I preach a sermon, I know I didn't preach. Some weeks I didn't preach my best sermon. And if they still say, that's great, that's okay, what I'm going to do is I'm, I'm going to say, oh, man, I guess this standard is okay. And then my standard goes low and low and low. And But I'm grateful that I have a loving staff that's willing to speak truth to me. And I know every time they're going to correct me, it's not so that they want to destroy me, but they want me to be a better minister. Um, I think making yourself available is so important. I think as ministers, that's one of the most dangerous things because it almost thinks that you tend to think that you live in isolation. I think in the same way, I would encourage you to have some sort of accountability. And also, I would say that, You don't have to share everything with your leaders, but I would say there's a level of transparency that you need with your leaders, that God has placed certain people in your life to speak truth into your life. And if you can't trust your leader to speak truth into your life, you're in the wrong church. Most likely, you're not under the right leader, right? And so trust your leaders. Trust God who is above your leader and trust that he's gonna preach the word to you. So judge with grace, judge with truth, and judge after examining yourself. And if we do this, it's going to be a glorious reality that refines our church. Now, why should you do this? There's only one simple reason. This is how Jesus treated you. Jesus, the Bible says that he is the only one who does not have a single speck in his own eye. It actually says in the book of Revelation, Revelation 1, it says he has these fiery eyes that sees everything through you. And what he decides to do is not simply condemn you or judge you, but he extends forgiveness to you. And the way he extends forgiveness to you is not just simply by saying, okay, you're wrong, but I can deal with it. No, in a gracious way, he exposes our sin. At the same time, he's willing to provide the clear solution that he himself was willing to die on the cross so that he could be the solution. That we have a Savior who is absolutely righteous, but at the same time, absolutely merciful and kind. And that's why you trust Jesus, that this is the judge that you want, the judge that is always right. At the same time, the judge that is going to lead you to maturity and sanctification. And if Jesus is the absolute judge, if this is the judge that we believe in, if we were saved by this grace, then we can extend grace to others. Those who have received mercy can be merciful. Those who have received grace can be gracious to others. Those who have been forgiven can forgive others. So it all starts with Jesus Christ, and it ends with Jesus Christ. Jesus is inviting us to to follow his footsteps. If you think about the Sermon on the Mount, he's just simply inviting us to himself. He talks about all these beatitudes, blessed are you, the poor, the, the, the persecuted, and he's talking about himself. When he talks about love your enemies, he's not talking about someone else. He's saying that this is how far I was willing to go to love my enemies. And when he says, take a speck out of a brother's eye in such a way, that's exactly how he is willing to restore us to God. And so let's worship him. Let's thank him for who he is at the same time. Let's practically make ourselves available to be corrected and to give correction after we self-correct ourselves in the word of God. Amen? Let's pray.